Welcome to the Artist Appeals. This is Erin Sparler and I'm your host. In the Artist Appeals, we interview artists, crafters, photographers, and business professionals about the business of art. I hope you'll join us and enjoy the show. Today on the Artist Appeals, we're talking to author and CEO of an amazing store, online shop, designer. This woman does it all. She's the author of three books, Fanciful Paper Projects, Creating Your Own Posh Little Follies, Fanciful Paper Flowers, Creative Techniques for Crafting an Enchanted Garden, and her third book, Weddings, Artwork for Scrapbooks and Fabric Transfer Crafts. But she's also the designer and powering force behind relics and artifacts. This company makes these amazing ensemblages. They're these porcelain-looking bases that you can use in your mixed-media artwork. She's got busts and face, dolls, starbursts, skulls and eyes, all sorts of amazing things that she's picked up in her travels around the world and then compiled and made into these ensemblages that you can utilize. So, without further ado, please allow me to introduce you to the amazing and beautiful Sandra Evertson. All right, Sandra, how are you today? (laughs) I'm good, Erin. How are you today? (laughs) Great. I want to start with just a little backstory. I love to get the before story (laughs) from artists on where were you before you began your journey to where you are now? Like, was there some sort of defining moment that changed for you and led you down this career path and made you switch into becoming an artist? And tell us a little bit about where you were and, and what you were doing before all of this. Okay. That's kind of a really long story, but I'll shorten it up for you. (laughs) I was in Los Angeles. I lived in LA and uh, I moved to LA from Texas originally, San Antonio. And And how old were you? Oh gosh, I was, it was just after I got out of high school, which was like um, maybe a year or two later. So 20-ish. Okay. And uh, I moved to LA and, and started modeling just kind of, um, you know, a lot of swimsuits and stuff out there at that time. And then it worked into Worked into acting and doing television bits and, and small parts in movies and series like Married with Children and those kinds of shows. And anyway, I just kind of got involved in that whole scene. Oh, no way. Yeah. And Star <laughs> I Trek. I used to watch and, that. Oh, that's, that's funny. It was, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it's just um, part of that's what I was doing. That's um, what I could do to make a living. I have... Like to even go back a little further, I have pretty severe dyslexia. So mm-hmm. like numbers and writing things down and all that is like super confusing to me. And I'd mm. always been doing art. That's just kind of what I do because I can, it, it, that makes sense to me. I can figure out how to put a lot of components together and make something really great. Whereas writing or reading numbers or reading anything is just as a challenge for me. So I was doing the acting bit and the modeling bit in LA and that was going really well. And I was really successful at it. And I did those ZZ top 
album cover for their greatest hits and there's just a a lot of music videos and kind of yeah kind of that whole scene and I worked with Eddie Murphy and Dwight Yoakam and just a lot of different artists doing videos and things and so the the whole time I'm doing that I'm just kind of you know the model and there are artists all around me there were makeup artists and there were hairstylists and there were photographers and people that did the wardrobe, you know, designers. Yeah. And, and yeah. I got to see them all doing their creative thing. And it was very frustrating for me because I had that inside of me, but I didn't feel like I was able to express it except when I would go home and I would do my art, paint or whatever. Yeah. And I would get to see and talk to them all day and watch what they did. And I was really envious of that because I just felt like I was just like the canvas there and, you know, all of that was around happening around me and I wanted to be part of it. So I I did that for a while and maybe 10, 13 years or so. And then I just decided I made my money and I was ready to do something else. And I retired kind of early in my early 30s and moved back to Texas and started like an antique shop. And I was selling antiques and then I started making things from these little bits and parts of antiques that were too good to like toss out. Mm -hmm. Beautiful old, you know, design pieces, some crafts made hundreds of years ago. And I would put these pieces together, just different assemblages and people were buying those more than they were buying the antique pieces I had. So it kind of just evolved from there slowly from there. And kind of got in touch with different magazines because oh, I was gonna ask oh you, go ahead sorry what was your biggest fear or, or hurdle you had to overcome in making that transition that's a huge move to go from LA where things are going well and you're being successful <laughs> to move to Texas which I know can be rural in some areas so that was a huge yeah absolutely I, I came to Austin yeah for me it's kind of my my whole life has just kind of been about like diving in it's like skydiving like every (laughs) new thing I've done I just dove off it's I never thought about it you know I just like this is how that's just how my brain works kind of you know it's like all or nothing so (laughs) very cool I just kind of yeah just dove in and and hoped that it you know I, I guess not really hoped that it worked I just was like gonna make it work no matter what so it was like when I went to LA it was like that's what I had set my sights on doing so I had to make that work Hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the same with the antiques. It was like, you know, I loved antiques. I always loved antiques and art. And so it all folded together. So it was just like it wasn't even a question of whether it would work. It was just how I was going to make it work. I had to put the work in to get it to happen. Right. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of determination. And I've looked at your ensemblages. They're just gorgeous. I love how intricate and opulent is the word I might use for some of them. And the use of the crystals, it's so cool. Thank you. So you were able to pivot. I mean, it sounds like you saw the market. People were buying your ensemblages and your collections more than the antiques. And you pivoted. And that's really cool to be able to see that and do that. Yeah. What is your goal in what you do now? You know, how has that morphed or grown and what are you trying to achieve with your work now? Oh, that's a good question because it's kind of ever evolving. You know, it's, I more or less have kind of followed that little thing that clicks inside you that makes you go, oh, well, you know, now I kind of 
I'm going to do this. And now I'm kind of going to do that. And that's kind of what I still do now. I I don't really know exactly where it's going Mm -hmm. per se. I just know I continue. The more I work and the more I create, the more ideas I get to create new things. And those ideas are all laid out there kind of ahead. They're already there. I see them. I just have to make those moves towards them because, you know, I get there and then I'm like, okay, yeah, this is what I was trying to get with that. Does that make sense? It does. I certainly, as an artist, have found that sometimes the hardest part is getting started. Yeah, But once I start down a path, it opens up many other ideas. exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Like, when you're looking at an art piece and you look at it as an art piece and you look at it as a product to sell, what do you look Mm -hmm. for in a piece? Like, when you look at it, you say, okay, this is going to sell or not sell or this is a successful art piece, or this is not a successful art piece. Do you have any criteria that you could articulate or talk about? Like, or is it just a gut feeling? Um, it's, you know, sometimes it is a gut feeling, but I've also had really wrong gut feelings. <laughs> and something that I thought was fabulous just didn't, you know, didn't go. Something that I personally loved. So I do try to have to kind of guess what maybe the general public is going to like more. and I'm getting better at that because my tastes are fairly eclectic, let's say. Mm -hmm. And I do have to, I am working gradually into a market where there are more people are, see these items and get it. And also I want to bring these people along and give them more unique tastes as well, instead of all the kind of generic things that are on the market, you know, and, and that's happening. And, And that's such a great feeling because when I first started with the Relics and Artifacts brand, it was, you know, the Flaming Hearts. And, and this was like six years ago now. And nobody was really doing that yet. It was, you know, just kind of part of the... When, when I was traveling, when I was modeling, I was picking up all these little antique pieces and little things I could bring back home in my luggage. And mm-hmm. those things I kept and I kind of have them arranged in my little studio and I would rearrange them and arrange them again. And Then I wanted to make stuff with them, but I didn't want to damage them. So I started making castings of those that I could then paint and add the stones to and mosaic and different things. And then those blanks became a product Mm. that was just obvious to me that this needed to be on the market. And that's where this whole thing evolved from. Right, right. So the concept or the foundation for your products and your company Mm. kind of came from not wanting to destroy the original. Yeah. How do you make those pieces? Can you talk just a, a smidgen yeah, about sure. the technical process of how you cast your molds? And Sure. They're, um, the original antique piece, let's say it's got to be something sturdy enough to be cast. And if it isn't sturdy enough, say, because a lot of the things are, you know, they can be 100 years old, 200 years old, or even older, the pieces that I work with. So if it's not something I can actually cast, I'll re-sculpt it. You know, I'll make myself like a an original copy of it. Ah. So I'll re-sculpt the piece and make it as similar as possible so that it still retains that charm that, you know, of an old piece. And then I'll cast that, the, the re-sculpt that I make. Or if it's something that's, say, a Victorian piece that's, you know, pretty sturdy and I can recast, I'll cast it either with plaster or with a silicone rubber. And then I make my molds, I make my, the castings from those molds, the original molds that I create. Also, I'll put 
I'll take an antique piece and I will make a few things out of it, or I'll make one piece and add pieces to it so that it's something really unique, more than what it was. Like make a little assemblage out of it and turn it into something else. And then that becomes a blank Mm -hmm. itself. And then I cast those in what I I cast them in stone resin so that they have a nice uh, textured feel, almost like porcelain bisque. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, really takes the paint really well and, you know, whatever they want to put on it finishes. and Brilliant. How or many? I have another product. Go ahead. That's um, called uh, Paper Poly. And it's like a kind of bisque, but it's paper. So it's much more durable, uh, almost like a mache, mm-hmm. but it's really super fine. And uh, mm. just it creates great blanks. It's got a real eggshell-like surface and texture and the, the weight of it. It's beautiful. Oh, nice. You just make me want to hold one of your pieces. I'm going to have to go get one now. (laughs) (laughs) How many do you make in a run? Do you just make a couple? Do you No, I'll make hundreds uh, in a run. Make a limited edition? Yeah, no, I make, um, they sell really well. So I'll make hundreds in a run and then I'll, you know, package those up, get those ready. And I have a couple people that help me and, um, people in our shipping department and it's it's a small business but it's you know it's run really efficiently and i get those few hundred done and then those will sell out you know and then i get another batch going and also the thing i like about doing it myself i was working with a large corporation and we were making them in china and i just didn't feel really good about the whole gigantic mass production and you know, I didn't have control, a lot of control over it. Sometimes with a big corporation like that, they don't get your vision. They just get the money end of it, you know? Right. And Ooh, for an artist, yeah, for artists or, you know, it's the vision is like, most of the time, I think it's more important than the money, crazily enough. And that's kind of, you know, mm-hmm. the money is great. The money is kind of like the icing on the cake, you know, even though we need the money to pay our bills for our supplies and so forth. <laughs> it's still that you have that artist vision and the artist mind, and it's still just about the the product and the quality of the product, the way that it looks, the sustainability of it. You know, all of those things are important to artists. And it sounds like yours has a very tactile quality. The sculptural element and the tactile element of the sculpture probably plays an important role for you. Yeah, it's hugely important because it allows the people to, it allows the, the craft artisan to then finish it with whatever they want to finish it with. That means any kind of medium, whether it be a stain that's absorbed into it or a decoupage that's applied onto the surface of it, you know, it goes the whole realm. They can finish it with whatever they want to finish it with. Yeah, yeah. It gives them so much flexibility. You know, you mentioned your systems and how you have a couple of people that come in and help. And we just briefly touched on how many you might make in a mm-hmm. casting. One of the key components, I think, for artists, which we maybe sometimes struggle with, is the presentation of the work and the shipping of the work. Because nowadays with the Internet, mm. so much is about shipping. And so shipping becomes yes, part of the presentation. It's no longer of the gallery system where you can put it in a white box and put it up on a pedestal and it's separate. And so can you talk a little bit about your systems and how you work with your um, helpers, your employees to Hmm. present those products and make it a, an experience for the end user? Right. And it is, you're really right about 
calling it experience because that is really what it's all about from the beginning of the process to the end of the process where the customer has the piece in their hand at home. It's about like I tend to have a, take a lot of control over it because I photograph my own pieces. I photograph for their website. Every All the photographs are my own, the way that it's presented. That way I can control exactly the way that I want it to look and the feeling and the light that it has on it when it's being photographed from that to then packing it in, you know, I do want it to be protected. So it's in bubble wrap, but it's also in this beautiful little shredded paper that surrounds it so that it looks like it's an antique already. It's just white. I I have a thing for the white and I kind of try to keep it all, you know, nice and clean and white and white shredded paper and a little white box. And right. Then the shipping box that it goes in, yeah, you know, is extra. And also the whole computer thing and being where we're at with internet right now, you know, ShipStation, I don't know if you know what ShipStation is, but it's the perfect system. Yeah, it's just brilliant. I mean, I don't even know what we did 10 years ago, (laughs) how things were shipped out 10 years ago, really, because it computerizes everything for you. It's got, you've got your layout right there what was shipped, when was shipped. So you can track every single thing for every person and you make sure that, you know, I'm real big about making sure that everything gets shipped out literally the next day or the same day that it was ordered for customer service. Cause that's a huge thing. You know, you get ratings on it. And not only that, I just want my customers to have a good experience from the beginning to the end as well. So with ShipStation makes it, you know, it's like a commercial for them, but it really, it makes it so much easier and everything is kept track of for you. And it's just a a simple process that way. So we actually get our mail picked up, pick it up every day and we ship out packages every single day. Very cool. And that links directly to your website. Yes, uh absolutely. And what are you using for your website? You know, Squarespace is a great for the Mm -hmm. Squarespace. Yeah. I love that. It's, um, you know, just like 15 years ago, there was no way I could have set up my own website with Squarespace. It was like, I got my photos I take and just enter some stuff in and there it is. It's amazing. Wow, that's great. So how do you kind of educate your audience to the benefits of your blanks and the quality of your blanks? You know, do you tell stories around your work? Do you post on YouTube or what type of activities I do, I do don't, you do to educate your audience? Instagram is a huge thing for me. I'm just beginning to build it really good. I mean, I think we have a small following and something like 10,000 right now and it, but it's growing every single day. And I find it's the best for showing kind of unique artists because there's so many companies on there and there's so many artists and people and, you know, anything you can imagine is there on Instagram at your fingertips. And so it's just, it's my favorite place really for advertising and Facebook. And, and I just kind of go through do little posts of, you know, what the product is, what the item is, give it a little, a story about where the piece came from, because each piece I picked up in a different country in a different, maybe flea market in Italy, or, you know, some, somebody's basement in France, and just an attic somewhere in Spain, and all these pieces came from different places. So they do all have a story anyway. And I add those stories into what, you know, what the final product is, what the blank is, and then then the artists, they carry that on. They put their thoughts and emotions and designs into the piece and it becomes something of their own. That's really cool. How have you grown your following so well? Are there any tips or tricks that you use or recommend? Or um, Yeah, no, it's... Um, you know, it's just been all organic. It's kind of organic. It started out, you know, people do 
show their artwork and they'll refer back to us and we get people like that. But I also, Instagram is like a mini job for me. It's also, I work it, you know, just like you would work any other business. I'll go and I'll find people that are interested in what I'm doing and I'll like their stuff and follow them. And then they come back and look at mine and follow me. And, you know, there's all these different kinds of things where you can just buy followers or purchase this. And it's just, to me, there's no point in doing that because it's just like, you're not growing your business. You're just growing this number. And for me, it's about growing my business and growing sales. And the way that I do it by going and following people and looking at their work and commenting on their work and getting them to come back and take a look at what we're doing, it is growing, I guess, kind of organically in that way. And it's, um, it reflects in my sales every day, every week, I see more and more. It's networking. And I try to spend a it is absolutely networking. It's the new networking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. <sighs> That's really cool. So you spend a lot of time on Instagram. Do you do it on your phone or just on your computer? Or I do it on my, yeah, I do it on my phone. Oh. I, actually, I don't think I've ever even seen my Instagram on my computer. <laughs> but um, yeah, just like on my phone, I try to give it, you know, an hour a day, an hour a night, do it before I get ready to go to bed. And I just um, make it a habit. And it's, It's the place where I have been able to grow much more quickly because of just dedicating that little bit of time to it. Yeah, that's really cool. Just expanding and expanding, yeah. Very cool. Do you use any of the um, planner apps or anything like that for Instagram? Um, There's an app called Planner, and or do you just do the native Instagram app? Yeah, I just do the native Instagram app. I try to keep things, for me with my dyslexia, it is better for me to just keep things as simple as possible, you know, basic steps and right, right, and don't get overwhelmed. I'm a little bit fearful. Yeah, I'm a little bit fearful when I when I start getting too much because my mind is kind of going all the time, anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's always like what's you know here and everything I look at is like a potential new project and it just doesn't stop. And sometimes I have really issues with sleeping just mm. because there's so much I want to do. Yeah, I, I hear you on that one. You know, forever. How do you cope with that? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I know that I have that same type of thing, and I use different meditation techniques and breathing techniques yeah. and yoga, but what works for you? Running. Running, yeah. <laughs> Running as fast as I can, get it out of my system. I run every day, and it keeps me healthy. And it also, it's like when I'm spending all my time just trying to breathe, I'm not thinking about everything that I have to do. Oh, right. Yeah, totally. It's all I'm about just thinking about breathing. The breath, right? Yeah. It really yeah. Is. And that, you know, that takes it away. And then I come back and I'm fresh again. And, you know, I stay healthy that way and in good shape to keep doing what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Really. I do think that we as artists have a lot of ideas and focusing in on the ones that are going to be most profitable. Mm-hmm. So that we can make a little bit of money so that we can do the ones that are yeah. fun can be a real right, challenge. Right, exactly. Absolutely. That's really well put because that's kind of exactly how it is. I have my own little things that, that I create and that I never show on Facebook or Instagram or anywhere because they're just meant for me. And those things take a lot of time sometimes and mm-hmm. they take more money than I'd like them to take. But they're just <laughs> things that I create for myself. Right, right. Oh, yeah. Do those ever transition into your other work? Do you live with them for a while while. and then let them come out? Mm -hmm. Or are they just totally private? Once in a while, yeah. No, some of them are totally private and have never been seen and will never be seen just because they are, it's something for me only and not, Mm. you know, 
no other reason, but it's the bit of what I do that I can keep for myself. Yeah. But sometimes parts of those do come out. Yeah. They'll come out maybe in a smaller version because Mm -hmm. I like, I work sometimes bigger, you know, than what a commercial market would stand. And so they do come, they'll, they will come out in a smaller version sometimes. I know some artists do a fine art line for the galleries and then do a commercial line. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you kind of think of it that way? Maybe like your fine art or or are they more sculptural pieces for like a garden or where do you Um, have them? No, it's it's more, they are in my studio. I'm looking at them right now, some of them. Mm -hmm. But um, just, uh, it is kind of like a gallery, but I I don't work with any galleries. It's like that, that would just be another thing I would have to, you know, work into my schedule. Yeah. And they're just um, pieces that I keep private. It's kind of that one little thing I keep for myself. Now I want to see them. (laughs) (laughs) Now you've teased us. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, So did you consciously choose to just, uh, do you sell wholesale and retail or do you just do? We did sell wholesale for a while, but it was just too much. And I want to keep it more where I can work with my customers directly. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's a better experience for me and them. Interesting. I interviewed another. Go ahead. No, it's just that's kind of how I'm working it. You know, I think it's interesting what choices artists, entrepreneurs make. And I think that's fascinating that you've chosen to focus on retail to provide an experience for your end user. Because I interviewed a lovely lady, Ashley, the other week, and she has a lip balm company and she consciously chose to only do wholesale. Mm-hmm. because her profit margin just it's too small and she does these amazing infused lip balms she goes and does mm-hmm. wine infused lip balms for oh the wineries in new york awesome. oh yeah oh, and then brilliant. they're custom yeah, labeled that's brilliant. yeah and she does coffee ones Beautiful. too so yummy oh, wow that's brilliant yeah yeah she's a really neat woman you'll have to listen for that one mm-hmm, I will. so that's interesting cuz you totally went the opposite way and just did retail you know I know a lot of people say that that's too much work, the shipping, because you're doing one and one and one. Yeah. But you enjoy it. Yeah, I do enjoy it because I I do become friends with a lot of my customers. They're repeat buyers and they, Uh you know, it gets spread by word of mouth. And the shipping is not, you know, like I said, it's through a, literally an app and it just happens. It's so simple. That's like the least of the worries of it. Maya is just getting the product there, you know, in good shape and, and that they get it right away. And yeah, so, yeah, I kind of enjoy all that process. Very cool. And you mentioned that people do repeat oh, buys. Yeah. You know, they always say that um, repeat buyers are the best. They're the easiest to get. How do you reach out to them? Do you offer coupons or do you have a mailing list? Like, can you offer some tips? You know, we tricks? actually do once a year. We do. Um, we'll give them like a $500, you know coupon to purchase more and invariably wow 500 yeah i mean like like say i'll take the top three that's awesome the top three out of Mm -hmm. you know all the customers we've had for the year and but they always will buy double that like if they'll just like that was free and then they'll buy double it so it's like really it's just such an advantage for us and for them as well, you know, they get a stock up for quite a while yeah and that really makes it appealing that's a big coupon and People like to feel like they're getting oh, yeah. a really great deal. So you yes. actually look at the numbers and give the top three yeah, buyers. Yeah, it's worked really well a... for us so far. And I think we wow. want to try to nice. maybe double the number great idea. of people, like, say, do the top, you know, six 
people or even 10 and maybe then lower the, Mm -hmm. you know, the amount so we could spread it out a little further. So what does success look like for you? I think as artists, sometimes we get caught up in the process and we don't take the time to either Mm -hmm. acknowledge our successes or, you know, celebrate our successes. How do you measure your success and and what does... You know, that's funny that that you say that because when I was with the big production company, a lot of people, the the big corporation that we were putting out, hundreds of thousands of these packages and pieces, and they were going all over the world and shops everywhere. And I think a lot of people think that would be like the success, you know, that would be their idea of what success was. And for me, I was so, there was so much going on with that. I don't even know how to really exactly put it, but it was, I didn't feel successful. I just felt tired. Mm, I was just worn out because it was, yeah, it was so much. And it, I didn't have any like, um, contact with the people that were using my products. It was just a process of redesigning and you gotta get another line out in three months and another line out in three more months. And so I was always just, you know, we had to release spring, summer, fall, and it was just, uh, it was a lot. And where I am now, where I've kind of slowed it down, backed it up a little bit, slowed it down, made even more like better product, I, I consider. Mm-hmm. It's now I feel successful. Where I'm at right now, I actually feel successful here. So maybe would you, would it be on par to say that maybe the interaction with the individual customers and that feedback is what gives you your reward, what feels like success to you, that feedback? I think so. I think so. And just putting out super good product that is maybe not as commercial, that's maybe more individual and, you know, it also it educates the buyer and makes them more apt to buy more unique things. It's, you know, our whole, the whole environment of uh, retail is changing. It's just changing radically. And the big malls are kind of going out and department stores are going out. And there's all these little, you know, homegrown crafts, this and crafts, beers and everything. All of those, everything is, it's kind of going back to like how it, maybe it was in the, early 1900s or something there were all these little boutiques or or like the way Europe was you go to a bakery and you go to a butcher for this and you know everything's separate it's Mm -hmm. kind of seems like it's settling into more of that kind of thing and more sustainable and Mm -hmm. more of an experience rather than just going to a big department store buying something cheap and going home and making something you know out of that People are putting more time into what they're doing, making nicer things for themselves, and just um, having a different kind of art experience, like an, a craft artisan and not just somebody just playing around, you know, or they're really um, putting more of themselves into their art. I like that idea that we're transitioning back into an artisan-based society. Yeah, that's what it feels like and looks like to me. I hope so. I like that me idea. Too. So do you have any books you would recommend? This is one of the last questions I love to ask. And that is, do you have any books or um, favorite reads? It doesn't even have to be art related that you love to share with people or give as gifts or just come back to time and time again. 
Oh, I do. It doesn't have anything to do with it, but maybe it kind of does. I love Joseph Campbell and I love the power of myth. Oh, and it's yeah. like if there's was if there was one book that I would just give everyone, it would be that little book because then that would lead them into all of his writings and to me that guy was a genius and he is. He's he's a legend. Yeah, and I just, you know, I I was introduced to that book many years ago by my husband mm-hmm. and it opened up a whole world for me. It's funny. I have it sitting right here on my side table that as I'm amazing. talking to you, The Power of Math. That is and amazing. And I have one with an interview by Bill Bill Moyers. Moyer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bill Moyer. <laughs> I love it. It's- yeah, I have those. I have all those too. And then all of the editions of the single books that he put out on each one. Yeah, I want to read the one... Um- the Heroes Two Journeys, I think, is the next yeah. one that I'm kind of yeah. interested in. All of them are. It's amazing. And, you know, it was something that pulled a lot of things together for me because when you're in the United States, you just live in the United States. Then I started traveling when I was modeling and going to other countries and seeing other cultures and eating other foods and seeing how all of that tied together. Then reading his books was just like, whoa. It is all one thing. Yeah, so it made a connection for you. It did. It put everything together. It made all these little neurons connect. Oh, I think that's a great recommendation. The Power of Meth, Joseph Campbell. Yeah, it's yeah. It brings it all together and it's really about storytelling. But I think uh, it art is, yeah. is about storytelling. It is most basic. Absolutely, form. absolutely. That's what it started as and that's what it still is. It's the artist pouring out their emotions into something they make with their hands right and then you know if you can translate that into the product for the end user mm-hmm. that makes your your work so much stronger yeah people and feel that's that it. that's what i mean about you know having done the production like that in a huge production there, nobody feels anything because there's nothing there really you know right you feel like it lost the story it did it, it absolutely does on that kind of mass production and when you're doing it you know a few hundred at a time every little piece gets carved and taken care of and if there's some little nick here or there you know you can fix it and everything is goes out exactly the way you want it and they get it just the way they want it and the way they expected it oh well sandra this has been a lovely lovely conversation i want to thank you so much i think we've gotten so much amazing information about it. And, you know, would you like to give a shout out to um, any of your websites or uh, any links that you'd like to share here at the end? Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Um, The product, our product is called Relics and Artifacts. And um, Mm -hmm. they're craft blanks for people to paint. And the um, website is Mm sandraevertson.com, S-A-N-D-R-A-E-V-E-R-T-S-O-N.com. And of course, I'll put links to all of that underneath the podcast Awesome. Thank you. So that people can check you out. You should, you guys got to totally check her out. Her work is fun. Yeah, they can come to my Instagram, which is Sandra Evertson, or Relics and Artifacts Instagram as well, or find me on Facebook. Oh, you have two. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, And what do you post differently between the two? It's different things. You know, I have so many photographs. I take my own photographs, so I have photographs of every little thing I do. So there's a lot of different things on on both. They're kind of two different markets anyway. So Mm -hmm. 
I've got a lot of personal friends on Facebook, and then you've got the whole world market on Instagram. So, yeah, your Sandra Evertson uh, IG is that more like a behind the scenes? A little bit, yeah. It shows my pets, and I have a we have <laughs> we have a lot of animals. We have uh, three dogs and a cat and a cockatoo, a baby cockatoo, Aww. and so it's um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I bet that must be the most right adorable now, all... thing ever—a baby cockatoo. Oh, she is. She is an incredible little being. I don't think I've ever seen a baby parrot. She, <laughs> she's almost two years old. We got her when she was three months old. And she's just learning talking and mommy and daddy. And oh my, it's like having a, a three-year-old in the house. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> she wants you. She, mommy, mommy, mommy. She calls you. <laughs> oh my you. gosh, that's so cool. Yeah. You know, totally it is, off topic. Funny. I got to ask though, how do you feed a baby? How do you how do you feed a baby bird? Like, well, we got her when she was not weaned yet, so we were syringe feeding her still. Oh, and I grew up with a lot of animals. Well, I grew up on a real a small little kind of ranch, and we had mm-hmm. all kinds of animals, and I took care of them with my dad. And so I kind of it's a normal thing for me. My husband, no, he was like, "What are we doing?" And uh, <laughs> I was like, "You just put the syringe in her mouth and squeeze it in, and she gulps it down." And, <laughs> So we had to make that transition of, you know, syringe feeding her to then weaning her onto seeds and pellet food. And then I make her this little mash and I make her sweet yam, potatoes and French fries and (laughs) all kinds of things that are good for them. Papaya and pineapple. And she likes all kinds of exotic fruits. Oh, that's so cool. That is really neat. I learned something new. (laughs) It's an amazing experience having her. Yeah, we have animals She's on my too, Instagram a lot. But uh, nothing that exotic. We just have chickens and dogs and cats <laughs> and kids. Oh, that's awesome. We, we call her a little chicken all the time because she clucks once in a while. Aw. Well, I'm going to have to... She'll imitate the birds that she hears. Oh, really? Neat. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Neat. Well, this has been just so wonderful, and I want to <laughs> thank you so much for hopping on. Well, that's it for the Artist Appeals. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed recording it. I just love talking with all these artists and business people. It's phenomenal, and I've learned so much. I hope you've learned something, too. You can get more information. You can check out some of the links that we talked about in these podcasts at theartistappeals.com. That's the Artist appeals a p p e a l s dot com thanks and have a good one